Hello, everybody, and welcome back to WVFI and another episode of Five for Fighting Irish, our fourth one of this semester. Um, just a quick note, by the way, I actually have started listening to, or I have started listening to these episodes as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, um, and I plan to put it on Spotify too as well. If you search Five for Fighting Irish, if you ever miss an episode or want to listen back to one for whatever reason, you can find them there. Just search Five for Fighting Irish. Last week's episode got lost. Um, so last week's episode will not be on there, but the first two from the semester are, and this one and future ones should be as well. I mentioned last time that you know it seemed like something was off with the audio. I couldn't hear the music when I was coming into the station or when I tried to play uh, a clip on my laptop. Um, um, but that seems to be fixed now. I hear the music. I could hear the music when I was coming into the station today, and all the archives seem to be working again. But there were like two days or so uh, of shows that aren't in the uh, WVFI archives, so they will not be or that one show that I did during those two days will not be on the official podcast feed, but just a fun little aside before we get things underway. And I got to say, you know, sometimes these shows can be hit or miss in the news sense um, in terms of, you know, how much there is to talk about. And, you know, mid-February didn't seem like a time it was going to be particularly lively um, for the NHL. You know, obviously we expected to be in the Olympics right now, but even when we found out there was going to be no Olympic break, it's like, all right, they'll probably just be... A handful of makeup games or whatever, and nothing too interesting going on. The last week has brought a lot of stuff since we've come back from the All-Star break. Two head coach firings, a pretty big trade, a pretty shocking retirement, at least a mildly surprising retirement, um, and of course a potential and seemingly certain uh, very big and very important return uh, for a player from injury tomorrow night. But we'll start with the big news, and of course that being the big trade that went down yesterday with Tyler Toffoli going from one Canadian team to another, trade from the Montreal Canadiens to the Calgary Flames. It's the second time in Tyler Toffoli's career he's been traded. Of course, it's actually the second time he's been traded to a Canadian team in his career. So he was traded from the LA Kings to the Vancouver Canucks at the 2020 at the 2020 trade deadline, and now he's moved about a month ahead of the 2022 trade deadline. This is pretty early, honestly. You know, Sometimes there's um, one or two teams that get ahead of the trade curve a little bit. Uh, I know there was a, there have been a couple minor trades over the year and whatnot. I know Andrew Hammond was just traded a couple days ago to the Montreal Canadiens, um, so Montreal really starting to make some moves as well. Um, but you, know, you usually don't see a trade of this magnitude this early, in the year, I know relative mid February is usually the time when you start seeing those, but that's usually because the season ends the first week of April, which is not the case this year. It's ending at the very end of April. Uh, obviously, the trade deadline is pushed back. Usually, it would be probably about a week from now or so. Uh, whereas, you know, now it's going to be, I believe, March 21st is the new trade deadline date for this year. Uh, but of course, that was the big trade yesterday that went down. Tyler Toffoli going to the Calgary Flames in exchange for Flames' first round pick this year. It's a top 10 pick, conditional, sorry, it's a conditional pick. It is top 10 protected. Uh, 2023 fifth round pick, uh, Tyler Pitlick and Emil Heineman. Uh, by the way, I meant to mention this off the top of the show. I'll mention it now. This may not be, and um, we'll see how far the show goes. I have. I am day-to-day to use a hockey term with an upper body injury, that being uh, sniffles and a bit of a sore throat. Uh, I have taken a couple coldies, which my mom always swears by, and I got to say, they're working pretty well so far. Um, but yeah, sorry to get off track, but I just want to mention that in case um, I decided to not go the full hour necessarily, or if you hear me I'm sniffling in the microphone, I do apologize. Um, you know, it is that time of year, of course, where, um, you know, stuff's going around campus and whatnot, so, um, but... 
just a heads up, if this show doesn't go the full 60 minutes or if you hear me sniffling, um, that's because uh, I have minor sniff. I have the sniffles. Okay, there we go. Get that out of the way. All right, so the Tyler to Tifo- back to the Tyler Toffoli trade. Um, so it's Toffoli for Calgary's first round pick this year. It's top ten protected. Their fifth round pick next year, Emil Heineman, who was a twenty twenty second round pick by the Florida Panthers, who was acquired by the Calgary Flames at last year's trade deadline in the Sam Bennett deal. And Tyler Pitlick is also going to the Montreal Canadiens to play with his uh, cousin Rem Pitlick, who of course the Canadians acquired earlier this year off waivers for the from the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I've been talking Calgary up pretty pretty highly through most of the season so far. If you look at the standings, you might be a little bit confused by that just because the record isn't the greatest. Now, part of that is the fact that they haven't played as many games as a lot of teams as most of the Canadian teams uh, have not so far this year. Uh, the Flames are only at 45 games played. That's fewer than every team in the Western Conference except for the Minnesota Wild, who are at 44. Uh, they are currently, in terms of raw points, in the last... or. Sorry, they're second in the uh, Pacific Division in terms of both points. Or in, no, all right, let's try this one more time. We are just off to a rocking show, rocking start to this show. Just epitome of consistency. The Flames are second in the Pacific in points. However, they are first in points percentage, and by quite a fair bit, actually. The Vegas Golden Knights are first in terms of raw points. They're on pace for about 101 points this year. Whereas the Calgary Flames, on the other hand, are on pace for about 106 points. So about three wins worth of points uh, would separate those two teams if they finish out the regular season on the exact same pace. And the Flames, you know, I think part of the reason why General Manager Brad Treeling made this move right now is he wants to reward a Calgary Flames group that is playing some really outstanding hockey right now. 8-2-0 in their last 10 games. They've won six straight, which makes them the hottest team in the NHL, at least in terms of win streak. Yes, I know Colorado has a 19-game point streak, so maybe they're not quite the very hottest team in the league, but at the very least, they're right up there near the top, plus 44 goal differential, which appears, uh, from my brief look at the standings, to be top five in the NHL. Um, so, I mean, they're, it's not like they're you know, getting dailed out. They're actually fourth with a plus 44 goal differential, trailing only Colorado, Florida, and Carolina, three teams I think everyone call cup contenders, and Calgary is really starting to make a push towards that bracket if they're not there already. I mean, they've been a very, very good team at 5-1-5. They've been a very good team at 5-1-5 all season long. Um, And Daryl Sutter's had this team playing. It's really good defense, but I feel like they're a little bit underrated offensively. You know, they're not an amazing offensive team, but they've been pretty solid in terms of putting pucks in the back of the net so far this season. Uh, In terms of goals for per game, they are 8th at 3.33. Their power play is... Pretty solid as well at 21.4%. That puts it tied for 11th in the NHL with Pittsburgh and Winnipeg. So it's not like this is a Calgary Flames team that is one-dimensional by any stretch. However, they could use a little bit of boost offensively, and that is where Tyler Toffoli, in theory, comes in. So he'll probably slot in either on their first or second line. Uh, I'd probably say second line, yeah, because they have the Goudreau-Lindholm to Chuck line that's been dynamite for them all year. So he would probably be on their second line with maybe Andrew Mangiapane and Michael Backlund or some combination like that. Um, we'll see what Daryl Sutter decides there. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, you might remember, of course, from last year when he was absolutely dynamite for the Montreal Canadiens. Scored 28 goals last year, which was top 10 in the NHL. 
Uh, 44 points overall in 52 games. Nearly had a career high in points and and goals almost in that shortened season. And he even missed a couple games in that shortened season as well. Uh, and then in the playoffs, five goals and nine assists for 14 points. He also had 14 points in 26 playoff games with the Los Angeles Kings in 2014 when he won the Stanley Cup with the Kings. He was not up for the uh, 2012 Cup, but he was there for the 2014 Cup. In fact, he had the primary assist on the Alec Martinez uh, Stanley Cup winning goal in overtime. He was the guy who shot the puck off Henrik Lundqvist's pads. A pretty solid goal scorer, more of a uh, second-line guy than a true first-line player. Yes, I know he was one of the top goal scorers in the NHL last year, but if you look at that, if you look at his numbers between this year and last year, you might think, you know, what happened to this guy? You know, he scored 28 goals last year. He only has 9 and 37 this year and 26 points. You know, part of that is the Montreal Canadiens being bad. Uh, as a team, offensively, defensively, and in every aspect, really. But also, a large part of it is simply just shooting percentage. This year, Tyler Toffoli has shoot is a, at a nine shoot percent shooting. Last year, he was at seventeen point seven, which was just destined to come down. Of course, his career average is at eleven, so he has been a little bit unlucky this year. Um, and he has been, you know, he's been a pretty solid goal scorer throughout the course of his career. Uh, he scored 31 goals in 2015-16 with the LA Kings. He's hit the 20-goal mark um, five times in his career, including uh, two of the last three seasons, uh, or each of the last two seasons, I should say. Uh, hasn't hit it yet this year. He's only got nine so far, but obviously a strong second half. Uh, could definitely get him to the 20 mark. And in fact, I would probably say I expect him to get to the 20-goal mark. Um, and help out the Calgary Flames, and you know, provide a little bit more balance to their attack as well. They got the Flames have another guy, of course, Andromangiapani, who's enjoying a similar shooting percentage bender that Tavoli went on last year. Mangiapani, of course, has been one of the better goal scorers in the league, especially early on in the season. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's got 24 goals and seven assists, a 21.8 shooting percentage. Uh, for reference, that is very unsustainable. Almost certainly, seeing as before man, last year, Mangiapane scored on 19 point. Okay, maybe Andrew Mangiapane is better than I thought. He's at 17.5 in his career. Still, that's a fair bit lower than 21.8%. I did not realize he was a 19.8% shooter last season, which probably would have uh, screamed for regression last year. Uh, but instead, he's actually been even better in that department this season. Uh, but Toffoli and he are both guys, you know, have gone through that stretch where you know they've probably scored on more shots than they probably should have. Mangiapane's shooting percentage was even higher early on in the year. It was over 25% um, like a month or two into the season. So it was due for regression. It might be due for a little bit more, but it is slowly starting to come down. Part of that with Mangiapane as well is why his shooting percentage is so skewed is that he's only in his uh, third full season in the league, three and a half seasons really. He played 44 games in 2018-19. And then 10, 17, 18. So he's played fewer games than Toffoli, fewer seasons. So uh, one year with a bit of an outlier shooting percentage has more of an impact on his overall numbers um, than it would for someone who's played longer, like Tyler Toffoli. As for the return for the Montreal Canadiens, it's pretty solid. Uh, a first-round pick is a first-round pick. And, I mean, there's almost no chance that Calgary is going to miss the playoffs, like I said. If you just go by points percentage right now, they are first in the Pacific Division. They're actually only, um, or they're, they are third in the Western Conference. That's still pretty solid. Um, they're a team that almost certainly is heading to the playoffs this year. Uh, a revival I really didn't see coming from their core group. Um, the big thing for Calgary is in this trade is that Toffoli is actually signed for this year, next year, and the year after that at a very manageable $4.25 million cap hit. 
which is absolutely nothing for a second-line player. Um, Toffoli, of course, had the misfortune of being a free agent in the 2020 offseason when we were really unsure where the salary cap was going and knew that the league was going to lose a lot of money in the 2021 season, playing at least partially without fans, which is obviously, actually, of course, what turned out to be the case. And you know, Even in the final, Montreal uh, only had 33,500 fans, I think, or something like that uh, in attendance. Um for those run, uh, so that's why Toffoli didn't really get that much money on the open market. Far less money than he was worth, and actually far less money than he was making before. His previous contract was a $4.6 million cap, and it wasn't exactly coming off a bad season. Um, you know, when he hit free agency, he had 44 points and 24 goals in 68 games in 2019-20 for LA and Vancouver. Added two goals and two assists in seven playoff games as well, uh, so he was hurt for some of Vancouver's playoff run, but decently productive when he was on the ice. Um, but he was a huge boost for Montreal last year in their run to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I don't know if he'll be that good for Calgary uh, this season, but like I said, he should be a pretty helpful piece uh, to their forward core. Uh, helps out their depth, uh, helps out their power play, helps out their entire offense as well. You know, puts the makes the load a little bit easier for that top line potentially of Gaudreau, Lindholm, and Tuchuk to keep thriving even more so. Uh, like I said, for Montreal, the return is solid. A first-round pick is a first-round pick. Uh, it'll probably be in the low mid twenties, depending, of course, on how deep Calgary goes in the playoffs and where they ultimately finish in the regular season standings. Having games in hand is nice. You still got to win the games in hand, but I mean, Calgary seems to be in good position to do just that. Um, Emil Hyman, like I said, was a second round pick by the Florida Panthers in 2020. He is currently playing in the SHL. Uh, I believe he has 16 points uh, this season. Yes, yeah, 16 points in 36 games for Leg Kenza. Lexans IF of the Swedish Hockey League. Pronunciations, super fun. Um, which isn't bad at all for a uh, a 20-year-old playing in the Swedish Hockey League against men. Uh, we'll see if maybe he comes over to North America, um, play in the AHL maybe soon as next season. Uh, we'll see how that comes, but there's no rush really either way for him with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, fifth round pick is not much, but it's a little bit of a sweetener. And as for the roster player that the Canadians get back, I would bet that Tyler Pitlick is probably going to get flipped at some point. Uh, Pitlick was just not having a very good year at all for the Flames. Only two assists in 25 games. Um, like I've talked about on the show before, I'm a Flyers fan, so I was cheering for Pitlick in the 2019-20 season when he was on the Flyers. And I gotta say, I really enjoyed having Tyler Pitlick on that team. He was a great four-checker, someone who was solid on the penalty kill, had a bit of a sneaky, underrated wrist shot, um, in my opinion. Uh, not that he's a great goal scorer or anything like that, but every once in a while he would catch a goalie off guard with just a perfectly placed wrist shot or something like that. Um, he had 20 points for the Flyers that year in 63 games. His career high is 27 and if you look at his numbers, and you know he's missed some time due to injury over the last handful of seasons, uh, obviously the shortened season last year, but he's usually on pace for about 10 to 15 goals, 20, 25 points, maybe you know in a perfect year he could maybe touch 30. Obviously this season has very not been perfect for him so far. You might remember that he was actually taken uh, by Seattle in the expansion draft from Arizona and then flipped to Calgary for a fourth-round pick. Um, he makes $1.75 million against the Caps, so not too much. At all, Montreal could even retain if it helps out a team uh, who's just looking for forward depth. So I would bet that you could probably tack on another fourth or fifth round pick to this trade in a couple weeks uh, with the Canadians likely flipping Tyler Pitlick, who is an unrestricted free agent at season's end. Uh, but that low-key, low-key could be a useful piece for Montreal in the near future. Just, you know, to uh, he's, like I said, a hard-working player. He's great on the forecheck or whatever. And the Montreal Canadiens certainly could use an energy boost. And obviously... 
They're going to be down now. One of their better players in Tyler Toffoli. I know he only had nine goals this season, but believe it or not, I am pretty sure that leads the Montreal Canadiens um, in goals, um, just like he did last year, but just not quite as productive. Uh, yes, he Tyler Toffoli was tied for the lead in Montreal Canadiens goals with Josh Anderson and Nick Suzuki with nine. <laughs> it's almost It almost seems impossible to believe, especially given where the Canadians were last season. I know they weren't that good in the regular season, but they did still make it to the Stanley Cup final. And man, even the Arizona Coyotes have three goal guys who have cracked the 10-goal mark. Travis Boyd has more goals than Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, or Josh Anderson. How is that possible? I mean, you do kind of have to feel for Montreal Canadiens fans, and we're actually going to stick with the Canadiens discourse uh, here, getting into the firing of Dominic Ducharme. Uh, obviously, like I said, the Toffoli trade weakens the team in the short-term future. And it also does signal to me that, you know, this isn't going to be any type of short-term fix. You know, obviously the Canadians lost three big pieces last summer uh, from their cup run. Philippe Deneau is not coming back. He's in L.A. Shea Weber is almost certainly not coming back. He's probably done. His career is probably over. Carey Price could come back at some point. I would say it, it seems likely that he will. That might not be this season. Um... It could be next year, but that's certainly no guarantee given his injury situation right now. Uh, but the Canadians are able to load up on another draft pick. They now have 2, 3, 6, 8, 10, 12 picks in this year's draft. Uh, they have two, Anaheim and Carolina's third, Tampa Bay's fourth, St. Louis is seventh. They technically do not have their first round pick as it's listed right now on Cat Friendly, but that's almost certainly not going to be the case. Uh, they traded. Uh, they made a trade with the Arizona Coyotes, of course, to acquire Christian Dvorak um, in the offseason after losing Jesperi Kakinemi to that offer sheet. And the condition on that pick was the better of Montreal's Carolina's 2022 first-round pick. Uh, but if either or both are top 10 picks and Montreal will instead transfer to Arizona, the worst of Montreal slash Carolina's 2022 first-round pick. Um, so the Canadians are not going to lose their first-round pick this year. It's going to be Carolina's um, that they originally got in a different trade, which I'm trying to remember, but it, it, oh, it was not in a trade, it was in from the Cockcat Niemi offer sheet, it was compensation for Cockcat Niemi. Alright, so let's stick with the Canadians here um, and talk about the firing of head coach Dominique Ducharme, one of two head coach firings um, that we've seen, um, or that we saw in the last week alone. Uh, Ducharme had a record, regular season record of 23-46-1 across two half-seasons, essentially, as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. He took over for the team on February 24th last season after Claude Julien was fired. He did, of course, coach the team to the 2021 Stanley Cup Final. He also, however, is a little bit deceiving because I don't think he necessarily had that big of an impact on their cup run. If you remember, he actually missed their third-round series with Vegas because of COVID, uh, so he wasn't on the bench for that series, and that was probably Montreal's most impressive part of their cup run was upsetting a Vegas team that was thought to be cup contenders and everyone thought was just going to breeze by the Canadians in the third round. Uh, and obviously that wound up very not being the case to the season. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens have just been an absolute nightmare this season. They're on pace for just 14 wins this year, which would be the fewest by any NHL team since the 1990-91 San Jose Sharks, who had just 11. It would go down as one of the worst uh, seasons for an expansion team of all time and the worst or for a non-expansion team of all time excuse me and the worst season of any team in the salary cap era that is the pace the Montreal Canadiens are currently on pace for 
to write that, try to fix that and, you know, get them on a slightly better pace. Uh, the Canadians are actually bringing in Martin St. Louis as their new head coach. Um, kind of an out-of-the-box hire. Of course, St. Louis, the Hall of Fame forward, briefly a Calgary Flame at the end of his career, briefly a New York Ranger at the end of it, but known, of course, for his time with the Tampa Bay Lightning, where he spent over a decade, won a Stanley Cup with them in 2004. Um Never been an NHL head coach before, never even worked on an NHL coaching staff. I believe he'd been coaching youth hockey uh, at the time that the Canadians contacted him. And uh, he was, of course, given the head coaching job. And like I said, with talking about Tyler Toffoli and talking about Tyler Pitlick as well, the thing the Montreal Canadiens need to do right now is they just need to look better. They need to be a visually watchable team. A team whose work ethic comes across and, you know, is actually there on a consistent basis. Uh, of course, the Canadians made the decision to fire Ducharme after a 7-1 loss to the Devils in their first game after the All-Star break. I-, I mean, losing by six goals is always bad, but you do it to a team as bad as New Jersey, and you do it to in the, in the situation where you're coming off an All-Star break, when in theory you should be the most rested and most you know um, able to execute your game plan, and you lose by six goals to a Devils team. That's really been bad, especially over the last month or so. Uh, without Dougie Hamilton and some other pieces. Jonathan Bernier, of course, has been hurt for them. We talked about them uh, last show. Yeah, that's right, when we did the uh, power rankings. Um, but yeah, honestly, I think St. Louis could be at least a decent hire for the short term. I don't know if he's going to be their you know, head coach for the next 10 years, take them to the Stanley Cup final like Ducharme did and all that good stuff. But he seems like someone who is able to inject just positive energy Pack into the Montreal Canadiens, which is something this team desperately needs for a season that has just been sucking the life out of them and their fans uh, basically nonstop. Uh, I remember St. Louis, I saw the quote um, from his initial press conference. He was talking about, you know, having fun um, and, you know, working hard and, you know, not necessarily focusing on, you know, too much on systems, but on just playing the right way. And that, that's really what the Montreal Canadiens need to do right now. They just need to find a way to create some tangible progress in terms of their energy and their compete level that they can take into the future with them. And one player who has looked better uh, since St. Louis took over is Cole Caulfield. Of course, he was so good in the playoffs last year and looked like he was going to be a Calder Trophy favorite this year. Remember, Trevor Zegers predicted we'd have 40 goals on Twitter before the start of the season. He had one goal in... Um, in 30 games under Dom Ducharme, in two games under Martin, or three games under Martin St. Louis, he's got two goals. So already a um, significant progress. And actually, in his last game, he played uh, over 18 minutes, so a pretty significant boost uh, to his ice time as well in that last game. That was not one of the games he scored, by the way, but it shows you that St. Louis likes what he's seeing. That's uh, that 18-16 is Caulfield's. Uh, second highest career uh, ice total uh, for a single game in the regular season uh, in his career. Um, so good to see him getting back on track. And obviously that's a young guy who's you know, young enough to be part of the solution for the Montreal Canadiens, like I said. Defoli trade signals that this is not going to be a short-term fix. You know, it's not like they're trading. They were trading a guy who's a UFA. You know, Defoli was under contract for two more years after this. And the Canadiens saw the pathway to, you know, returning to contention in the near future, you probably don't trade Tyler to Foley. But obviously the Canadians think that this is going to be a bit of a long-term um, long-term trip in the dumps, and that doesn't mean that they're going to be stuck in a 10-year rebuild necessarily. But it does mean that, you know, they're probably not going to turn things around next year and go back to being a playoff team right away. Um, and so 
you know, if that's not going to be the case, you got to find different ways to inject positivity into your team. And Martin St. Louis seems like the type of guy who can do that fairly well. Uh, like I mentioned, they also acquired uh, Andrew Hammond uh, from the Minnesota Wild. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to help very much. This is probably not a 2015 Ottawa Senator situation where he wins every single game ever and takes him to the playoffs, uh, which is about what it would take for the Montreal Canadiens to make the playoffs at this point. Honestly, maybe not even that. I mean, like I said, that's how bad the Canadians have been this season. We're barely halfway through the season, and they're almost already eliminated from playoff contention. They have 34 games left. If they were to win all those games, they would have 68 points in those games. Added to the 23 they've got, and that would be 91 points. Almost certainly not enough to make the playoffs. They're also 0-8-2 in their last 10 games. They've lost 8 straight in regulation. I know the results haven't been there yet under St. Louis, and it's not like you can expect them to be anything close to a good hockey team in terms of record right now with the roster that they're icing. But, you know, they just need to look better. You know, try. I know the old cliche, you need to just try harder. Um, it's not always true, but honestly, in this situation, I think just, you know, showing more energy, showing more effort is really all you can ask for from the Montreal Canadiens right now, at least in the short term under Martin St. Louis. Uh, it would help if they got better goaltending. Um, you know, the old cliche, show me a good coach, I'll show you a good goalie. The Montreal Canadiens, of course, have a good goalie in Carey Price who hasn't been able to play this season, and they're 31st in the NHL this year with a .885 team save percentage. Only Seattle has been worse. Um, so obviously that's a big reason why the Canadiens have been struggling. A little part of that is, you know, they give up a lot of great chances as well. Um, so we'll see what Martin St. Louis can do in Montreal. Of course, St. Louis, of course, not the only uh, new head coach in the NHL. The Edmonton Oilers also making the decision to fire head coach Dave Tippett uh, just a couple days ago as well. He'll be replaced by their uh, AHL, or has been replaced by their AHL head coach, Jay Woodcroft, who won his first uh, game as an NHL head coach last week over the Islanders. The Oilers also played last night as well, uh, so he's still just getting started uh, as the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, and they did shut out the San Jose Sharks 3 nothing as well, outshooting the Sharks 41-20 to in that game. So, so far, so good for Jay Woodcroft uh, in the NHL. Of course, we've seen a couple teams this season already firing coaches and getting a little bit of a short-term boost uh, in the after-effect. The obvious one is Vancouver Canucks with Bruce Boudreau, um, you know, taking over. Um, and, you know, they won, I think it's for first seven games under him or something like that. But even the Flyers, when they fired Eileen Vigneault, they had a seven-game point streak very early on in Mike Yo's tenure, and obviously things took a turn for the worst there. But, you know, the short-term coaching change boost is not guaranteed, certainly, but it can be very real. This is the first time ever that Ken Holland, the Oilers general manager, of course, longtime GM of the Detroit Red Wings, has fired a head coach mid-season. Um, so a very big change for Edmonton, and a change that they really tried to delay as long as possible. And like I, I talked about this on the last show, it seemed like the Oilers had stabilized. You know, they went into the All Star break on a five zero and one stretch um, after you know, having just a combined record of six. Um, they had a miserable January. They were really falling down in the standings. Um, you know, they're out. They're out of a playoff spot right now, which is absolutely unacceptable. Of course, when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl on your team, I mean the Oilers haven't been to the Western Conference quarterfinals even since their second season in the NHL in 2017. That was their only playoff appearance for two of the very best players in the NHL, the very best in McDavid and a guy who's right up there uh, in that conversation as well, and Leon Draisaitl. Uh, and you know they got to figure out a way to you know start winning games, and uh, it came to the point where the Oilers. 
like I said, they were doing better heading into the All-Star break, and then they come out of the break and they lose their first two games by a combined total of 8-1. to one. And I, that very understandably was enough. Um, uh, was the was it made the call pretty easy for Ken Holland to make. Um, you know, the Oilers just haven't been playing great hockey, you know, for like over a month or so, really since coming back from the Christmas break uh, all the way back in late December. They, they've just been off, especially defensively, of course. And, you know, obviously not all this is Dave Tippett's fault because, let's face it, the Oilers team that Ken Holland has constructed is at best, I would call it, one-dimensional. And that one dimension is Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl skating circles around everybody. Now, I wouldn't say that the Oilers don't have other good players, of course, and they have guys like Darnell Nurse and Zach Hyman and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who are solid players in their own right, but the forward depth is better than it's been in previous years. It's still not outstanding. The defense is one of the worst in the NHL. I mean, we saw how bad a defense built around Cody Ceci and Tyson Berry was that one season in Toronto in 2019-20. And the Oilers decided, well, you know, it didn't work for them, but it could work for us. And it predictably has not worked for them so far. Uh, they have been one of the poor defensive teams in the NHL this season. Goaltending has also been a major concern for them, but again, that goes back to the decisions made by Ken Holland. He made the decision to bring back Mike Smith at almost 40 years old at the time on a two-year contract in the offseason. And I know Smith was coming off an amazing season, but I feel like most people probably saw that year and were like and thought that it was a one-off. And so far, it kind of looks like that. Smith just returning from injury, of course, a couple games ago, and that has you know played a part in his struggles this season. Obviously, just not being available for a good chunk of their games. But again, that's the risk you take when you sign a player around 40 years of age. He only has a 901 save percentage in nine games this year. Miko Koskinen, 26 games. He's a 900 save percentage. Uh, I know Elliot Freeman reported that they were in on trade talks for a couple of goaltenders. They reportedly offered a fifth to the Flyers for Martin Jones. They said no. Uh, they were in talks with Columbus about potentially trading for Jonas Corposalo. Columbus wanted a second and a third round pick. The Oilers uh, obviously... Didn't uh, send them a second and a third round pick for Jonas Corposalo. He's still in Columbus. Uh, they have brought up Sword Skater from their minor league affiliate uh, in Bakersfield, and he's a guy who has been playing solid for them overall. Uh, he has a 9-13 save percentage in, 12, in 13 games, 12 starts, which is solid. You know, it's not amazing, but, uh, you know, if the Oilers can get 9-13 goaltending from here on out, they will probably make the playoffs. You know, they are still in not a terrible position necessarily. Um, you know, looking at the playoff picture, uh, like I said, they're not in a playoff spot right now in terms of you know just raw point totals. However, they're right on the bubble in the Western Conference, uh, right there. They're only three points back of Anaheim, and they have three games in hand. Um, in terms of points percentage, they are in that last wild card spot in the West right now, and just behind the LA Kings for the third divisional spot in the Pacific Division. Side note, please. Please, please give us a battle of Alberta in the playoffs this year. Whether it's in the first, second, third round even, uh, I don't really care. But the Flames-Oilers playoff series is something that we need to see happen badly. Um, so hopefully that will happen this year if Jay Woodcroft can indeed turn things around in Edmonton. And like I said, goaltending would be a major, you know, if he can get goaltending, that would obviously be a go a long way to helping that turnaround, whether it's through Stuart Skinner or Mike Smith or a trade acquisition, whoever it might be. You know, the Oilers haven't even been that bad of a five-on-five team under Dave Tippett. Uh, 
in his time, in his two and a half seasons or so as head coach, the Oilers had a 51.22% expected goals percentage at 5 on 5, which basically means for about every 51 goals they were expected to score based on the chances that generated, they were expected to give up 49, which ranked 12th in the NHL over that time span, which isn't amazing, but it's solid, you know, and indicates that Dave Tibbet was doing at least a solid job, uh, an okay job, uh, as head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I certainly don't think he is. Uh, anywhere close to 100% at fault for the Oilers' struggles down the stretch. However, sometimes you do need a new voice, and as the saying goes, it's easier to fire a coach than it is to, you know, trade a whole hockey team. And so that's why Tippett's tenure at Edmonton ends after three seasons, really two and a half years, uh, with a 95-62-14 record. Of course, the Oilers made the qualifier round in his first year. It would have almost certainly made the playoffs in the regular season had finished uh, in normal fashion. It didn't, and they wound up losing in the qualifier round, upset uh, in four games by the Chicago Blackhawks, three games to one, of course, that was one of those best-of-five series. And then last year, they were stunningly swept uh, at the hands of the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. Yes, I know that Connor McDavid uh, should have drawn about 85 penalties and instead drew zero in that series. But at the end of the day, they still did lose in the first round. And, you know, the Oilers have only been past the first round once in McDavid and Drysaddle's tenure. And, you know, you need to change that very soon or else you start to worry about getting into the Jack Eichel territory um, where, you know, McDavid or Andrew Drysaddle become upset with the team's, you know, um, short-term status. And, you know, start to think about maybe I've started I'm going to say they start to they could start to think about requesting trade if they were to miss, miss the playoffs this year. I don't want to say like that's a guarantee or anything because obviously that's a very bold take and would be a very massive decision uh, if it were to happen. So I don't want to jump to conclusions there, uh, but obviously the Oilers need to make the playoffs this year or else the potential repercussions um, start to really amplify as compared to you know previous years where they've missed the playoffs or you know been kicked out way too early. Um, but speaking of Jack Eichel. Uh, let's move on to Jack Eichel's, you know, potential return, it seems like. Uh, Vegas GM Kelly McCrimmon announcing that Eichel will play in tomorrow's game against the Colorado Avalanche. First of all, you got to say, perfect timing on the return. Not only does Eichel come back for a game against the Avalanche, it's a nationally televised game on TNT. Couldn't script it any better than that. Uh, he's been practicing for the last couple weeks or so. First in non-contact jersey, then moving into contact. And now, of course, he's ready to come back onto the ice for the Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, it won't be the entire Vegas Golden Knights team that we usually know and love with Mark Stone going on long-term injured reserve. The Vegas captain um, is out indefinitely with a back injury. And we are back into the LTIR discussion, uh, which we everyone loves talking about. Who didn't get tired of this during last year's playoffs with Tampa Bay or in 2015 with the Chicago Blackhawks? Oh, boy. All right, so... Basically, if you're not familiar with long-term injury reserve and how it works, so basically the NHL has a salary cap. It's $81.5 million. You cannot spend more than $81.5 million on your roster. However, if you have players who have injuries, you can put them either on normal injured reserve, which frees up a roster spot but does not free up any cap space, or you can place them on long-term injured reserve. And basically you get the amount of cap relief as their cap is suggest. So right now, the Vegas Golden Knights have Mark Stone... And actually, Alec Martinez on long-term injured reserve. Um, Stone makes $9.5 million this season. Uh, Martinez makes 5.25. They also have a prospect in Jake Bischoff, who is also on long-term injured reserve. Or not a prospect, but just an AHL defenseman. 
Uh, he's on long-term injured reserve as well. So between those three players, the Golden Knights have about 15.25, uh, or it's 15.46666, all infinite sixes, um, uh, on long-term injured reserve once Jackal is, Jack Eichel is acti- activated tomorrow. Again, we are just, you know, flawless speaking on this show. Um, however, of course, when Eichel comes back, you know, Vegas will still be under the cap because they have all those guys in long-term injury reserve. However, there is no salary cap in the playoffs. And I believe, I think the reason that is, is because players aren't paid during the playoffs. I guess that's why that's the way it's constructed. But there's no salary cap during the playoffs. So basically, Vegas could keep Eichel on the roster, you know, put him on the roster right now, and be under the cap because they have Stone and Martinez in long-term injury reserve. If Martinez and Stone's injuries linger long enough, and I think it might even just have to be just Stone uh, with the cap situation the Vegas Golden Knights have right now, um, that only Stone would need to stay in long-term injury reserve for the rest of the year. If just Stone is on long-term injury reserve for the rest of the season, the rest of the regular season, then Vegas would have enough cap space to you know, keep Eichel, keep everyone else. They wouldn't have to trade Riley Smith. They wouldn't have to trade Evgeny Dodonov. Uh, they could keep all those players on their team, and then when the playoffs come around, they could activate Stone off long-term injury reserve, technically have a $91 million roster, whatever it would be, $90 million, whatever, yeah, or, yeah, it would be $91 million, because if they're right at the cap, they might be slightly below it, but about a $91 million roster, and they would be technically cap compliant because there's no salary cap in the playoffs, and therefore, they, therefore, would be allowed to play with this you know, team that's way over the salary cap. And we saw this last year with Tampa Bay Lightning. Nikita Kucherov, uh, $9.25 million cap, I believe, for Kucherov. Uh, he misses the entire regular season um, with a, after going undergoing hip surgery uh, following the 2020 playoffs. Uh, Kucherov, 9.5. Uh, so he was out for the entire regular season last year. Uh, his $9.5 million cap, it was a long-term injury reserve. The Lightning were just under the salary cap. Uh, with all their players, not counting Kucherov, who was on LTIR. Then Kucherov comes back, very first game in the playoffs. Um, Tampa Bay's team is now technically over the cap, but since there is no cap in the playoffs, they are cap compliant. Kucherov comes back in the playoffs, 23 games, 32 points. Lightning win the cup for the second straight season. Uh, Kucherov easily could have won the Smythe Trophy. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky got it. Kucherov could have just as easily won it. Uh, with how dominant offensively he was for the Lightning uh, in that playoff run. And to be honest, I know some people actually do like defending this rule, and, you know, it's the way it is, and I get... It's not like the Golden Knights are fabricating an injury for Mark Stone or anything like that. He has a legitimate back injury. He has missed games earlier in the season, and he is hurt enough, probably, to the point where... um, you know, Vegas can you know, easily ju- could easily justify you know putting him on long term injury reserve or even regular injury reserve if they didn't need to put Jack- they didn't need to clear cap space for Jack Eichel coming back. However, at the same time, you know what's the point of rules if nobody follows them? I, I mean, the lightning the lightning got away with it last year, but I mean it's not like the lightning. You know, if you remember in 2015, like I said, the Blackhawks also had a similar situation where they lost Patrick Kane late in the regular season to an injury, but it's just before the trade deadline. They traded for players um, with the extra cap space they had from freeing up Kane's salary, putting him on long-term injury reserve. They activate Kane at the start of the playoffs, 
and they go on to win the Stanley Cup. And they beat the Lightning in those finals, and the Lightning tried to get the NHL to change the rules. They wouldn't do it. So the Lightning went all right, five years later, all right, fine, or six years later, all right, fine, now we're going to take advantage of it. And they win the Stanley Cup. So yeah, I get hate the game, not the player. So fine, I will hate the game. Um, and I think this is a rule that the NHL should change. Like I said, I think the reason why there's no salary cap in the playoffs is because their players aren't paid during the playoffs. I would guess that would be the you know the reason why. So, you know, owners don't really care necessarily about keeping player salaries down, player salaries down in the playoffs. Well, since players aren't being paid during them, but you know, it obviously creates a competitive imbalance and you know, it almost rewards teams for you know having injured players necessarily and the flexibility that cre- uh, that results um, that creeps up and results um, from injured players, but not too injured, of course. You don't want to be too injured to the point where you know you're going to miss playoff games. Um, I don't remember if Kane played in every single game for the Blackhawks in that playoff run in 2015, or if he may have missed a couple at the start. Uh, but I know Kucherov did play in every single playoff game uh, for the Lightning in last year's playoffs. Um, so I mean and. Who knows what will happen with Stone? Maybe he comes back right at the start of the playoffs. I, I know the NHL is investigating, like they investigated Shea Weber when he went on long-term injury reserve to make sure these are legitimate injuries. And it's it's a difficult bouncing act because, like I said, Mark Stone does have a legitimate injury right now, and if the Golden Knights didn't need two clear cap saves for Jack Eichel, they could justify putting Stone on long-term injured reserve, and you and you know you know saying, look, we want to give Stone time off. You know we're Almost certainly going to make the playoffs um, this season, even if you know Stone doesn't play in these handful of games. So we want to make sure he's fully healthy for the playoffs. I think that's perfectly legitimate strategy, but it shouldn't allow you to build a significantly better team as a result of it. You know, and keep you know depth guys like Smith and Dodonov, who are still productive players. You know, are very helpful in the Vegas middle six and whatnot. Uh, and you know, if Vegas wanted to, needed to trade those players, you know, got into the cap situation where they needed to make those trades. Um, then, you know, they might have to give up assets to move them, especially Dodonov, since he's, you know, 32 and under contract through next season. Smith is a UFA at the end of the year, so he would probably be easier to move, but still. I mean, like I said, what's the point of having rules if we don't follow them? It's always been a rule that's bugged me, and like I said, I don't necessarily fault Vegas. You know, it's loud within the rules, and it's not like you're fabricating an injury for Stone, but... is a little bit frustrating, and I'm sure it's even going to be more frustrating for teams that have to face Vegas in the playoffs, assuming Mark Stone is healthy for that. Like I said, that's not a guarantee, um, but you know it is certainly possible. Um, I think this is going to be the final segment here uh, for today's show. We're going to talk quick, very quickly about Tuka Rask retiring. Uh, like uh, he we talked about him, you know, last show, and I said, "Oh, the Bruins are going through another Tuka Rask, you know, mini crisis. I'm sure it'll be fine." And, yeah, it was not. Um, obviously, the circumstances surrounding Rask much different than in previous years. Uh, he didn't join the team this season until January um, because he was recovering from off-season surgery. He played hurt in last year's playoffs. Uh, he only played in four games this year, struggled pretty mightily, 844C percentage on a one-year, $1 million contract. And so he's decided to retire, which obviously can't blame him for. He's had a tremendous career. He was Boston's starting goaltender, uh, from 2013 through 2021. Uh, in that time span, he was tied for second in regular season save percentage for goalies with at least, I think, 100 games played or whatever the minimum is, and tied for first with a 927 playoff save percentage. I know Bruins fans have always decided to hate Tuka Rask for some reason, which I've never really understood. 
because most teams would give anything for consistently amazing goaltending like Tuka Rask gave the Bruins. Um, he had three seasons where he saved over 20 goals expected, including in his rookie year, 0-9-10. Uh, in five of his first six years in the NHL, he had a save percentage of at least 920, uh, which is absolutely sensational. Uh, like I mentioned, of course, the Bruins originally acquired Tuka Rask in a trade uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs for Andrew Raycroft in 2006 after the Maple Leafs had taken Rask in the first round the previous year. And, of course, Rask went up haunting the Maple Leafs and winning all three playoff series he played against Toronto in his career. Um, and, you know, obviously becoming uh, the franchise goaltender that the Maple Leafs haven't had for uh, quite some time. Um, like I said, he's always been at least above a 913 save percentage in every single season he's played in the NHL, uh, not counting his four-game stint in 07-08 uh, at the very beginning of his NHL career. He won the Vezina Trophy in 2013-14. Uh, he won the William M. Jennings in 2019-20. Uh, those awards for best goaltender and fewest on the and goaltender on the team with the fewest goals against, respectively. He was on the NHL's first team All-Star team in 2013-14, the second All-Star team in 2019-20. He was also the runner-up for the Vezina that year. Took the Bruins to the final in 2013 and 2019, and was the backup to Tim Thomas when they won the Stanley Cup in 2011. So he does have his name on the Stanley Cup, even though he wasn't, of course, the starter for the Bruins. Uh, in their playoff run that year. Uh, and I mean, Tuka Rass is going to go down as one of the best goaltenders of his generation. His number 41 very well could be retired by the Boston Bruins. I honestly think he very well could be a Hall of Fame goaltender. You know, you look at it, like I said, five of his first five of six years with at least a 920 save percentage or better. He was consistently at least, at, I was going to say he was consistently at least a league average starter, uh, but obviously that doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. But, I mean, he was always consistently above average, I would say, frankly. And, you know, he's got some hardware. He's been to three finals. He did win one of them, yes, as a backup. I don't think it's an open-and-shut Hall of Fame case, but I certainly think you could make one for Tuka Rask if you wanted to. Um, obviously, the Bruins now are going to run with Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman uh, in goal for this season. So we'll see how that plays out for them. But like I said, I think I am going to sh- end this week's show a little bit early. Uh, rest up, get healthy. Uh, feel hopefully feel better for next week's show. So thank you very much for listening this week. Um, we'll be back same time next week, hopefully for the full hour. Enjoy all the hockey this week, and we'll see you next time.